Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of On My Mind. I'm Shelley Griffith, and today I'm extremely delighted to have a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Dale Kennedy, a dentist in Athens, Tennessee, who has some extremely interesting life stories to tell. And welcome, Dale. Thank you, Dr. Griffith. We're delighted to have you. And as I do, Dale, with my guest, if you'll just start out basically with uh, the standard, where you were born, uh, reared, and some early education. I would say first, Shelley, thank you for asking me to do this. Uh, we've known each other for some time. I might let the broadcast people know you're quite an accomplished actor. We've had a chance <laughs> to be in the Athens Theater together, but you've been a great uh, a great doctor for my, my mother and my, my wife, so I'm honored to be here for you. Uh, I actually grew up in Decatur, Tennessee, a um, little, little town over in Meigs County. Often said, for those of you who don't know, I, it's so small that I had to go to a different county to date someone to not be dating my cousin. So we had, we were pretty small. Uh, grew up um, uh, just south of Decatur. Um, my mom and dad are Marshall and Joanne Kennedy. We had a farm there, about 100 acres. My grandfather, John D. Perkinson, had a farm there. And my uncle Wayne had a farm there. And I became the farm laborer with my grandfather for those three farms growing up, which gives for a nice, humble beginning. Uh, then progressing forward, was was able to go to high school and blessed with the fact that there weren't many athletes in that high school. So I played three sports and enjoyed uh, high school immensely. Went on to college then at um, Tennessee Tech and got a chemistry degree and then on to UTC or UT uh, medical units for a dental degree. And that put me in the status that I'm in today. And Dale, you've been in practice how long now? 43 years. My goodness. And that's uh, such an outstanding career. And as you and I have chatted before, more and more folks are, are getting out. And share with the audience, if you will, uh, starting out, I guess, as many of us did as kids being taken to the dentist, what your recommendations are for, let's say, early childhood dental care. What do you tell patients? What I actually tell patients is it's normally maybe even four or five years of age, or especially at age six when they're transitioning out of their baby teeth to their permanent teeth, really got to have dental care. Uh, if they cannot be cooperative, uh, and we have pedodontists that do that for the, the children who are, are uh, too anxious, but we normally actually have parents bring their, their children in at two and three years of age and just, just observe just to not be anxious when they come into a dental office and ask the parents to start around age three to trying to have them teeth cleaned. Um, instruct them to use a washcloth to wash the, the very young and then also to brush the teeth themselves because children do not, do not have the capacity to overcome abscess teeth if they get those cavities and you know how they like sweets. And if you eat sweets, you're going to have cavities. It's just, it's just that's the agent that creates the acid that causes the cavities. And if you, if you have sweets in the mouth and don't clean them off, you're going to get some kids with some, some desperately bad teeth. So we start about age three to make sure they're in the office and then monitor and follow them about every six months. And Dale, you, you have a marvelous staff that's been with you a good long while. Share with the listeners, and I'm sure those folks understand, but uh, the kind of duties and the work that the hygienists do and some of your other assistants. Well, oh, thank you, Shelley. Well, the ladies, um, we have our, our front desk operator, 
uh, it's got to be an educated person that, that, that is actually very uh, organized. So when you call a receptionist, they're very organized and they will do the scheduling. Uh, the two chair side assistants that I have, um, plus one extra, but anyway, the two chair side assistants basically are involved by, by making sure, like a surgical assistant, that you have the instruments you need at the time you need them and you know how it is. Uh, you don't want to have to get up and, and move about have it all right there ready to go and, and they're marvelous at that uh, then uh, we have a hygiene assistant who does basically the same thing for for a hygienist now the hygienists are, have a little more education and thus they they have more treatment interaction uh, they they try to clean the teeth but we actually go beyond that in our office um, our hygienist actually uh, administer injections for anesthesia be amazed how less anxious patients are when a nurse is given the injection instead of us rough old dentists. But they do a wonderful job at that. And then, of course, they do cleaning. They do uh, standard procedures for, for periodontal health and for periodontal maintenance. And even uh, then we'll get, get anyone that's screened for periodontal disease, get them into my hands to make sure that we can clean that up and or get them to a periodontist, which is the, the, the uh, gum specialist, if you will. And then, Daniel, what... Uh, have the recommendations changed, I guess, for uh, routine checkups, uh, I guess, every six months still stand or a little bit longer, depending on the patient? Well, it depends on the patient. Interestingly enough, I will even have some people that have such excellent hygiene and, and their biochemistry as such that they don't create a lot of plaque and tartar can go every year, especially with, the, with their x-rays that's necessary. The standard is every six months. And that, that's done just, just simply because things can get out of control as far as the gum disease. If your gums are bleeding, you've got gum disease. Now it's, it's minor, and you can control it every six months. Those who have had periodontal therapy or gum therapy, uh, some type of, of periodontal surgery, normally are going to require every three months. That's simply because they're susceptible to and have had periodontal disease before. We want to prevent that from coming back. But that's normally the standard. And... Basically, take us through some steps, if you will. If I come in and uh, I have major toothache pain, which has affected, I'm sure, so many of our listeners uh, over the years, uh, the evaluation that you and your staff do if I just come in, as I have done in your office, uh, with toothache pain for some reason, what, what would be the steps? One thing we, <clears throat> we try to stress um, I was an Army medic, so I know about triage. Yeah. You've got to take the person who is in pain and relieve the pain first. So the ladies will, will bring a person back often, sit them down and do a brief interview because they're more people are more likely to share all of the details with a nurse because anxiety tends to pop in with the white coat syndrome yeah. of the doctor sitting before them. So they'll do an interview, decide uh, what the issue is. We will decide on an x-ray. Uh, determine that x-ray. If it's a broken tooth, we'll take photos so you can see what we see. And it makes it much easier to educate a person on the damage that they have to their teeth. And then we then begin to talk about options. Uh, you can always, with a, with a bad toothache, you can always pull any tooth. It gets much more expensive and troublesome to put that tooth back if you ever want the tooth back. You can always leave it out. But normally we really stress trying to, to do um, root canal therapy. And, uh, and because now root canal therapy is not what it used to be. You know, there's a big, big uh, shadow cloud over how painful root canals used to be. You're taking the nerve out of a tooth, for heaven's sake. But if a tooth is dead 
and you numb it completely and you use the right medication, it's not a very painful procedure at all, much less so than pulling the tube. Mm. Now, and the thing that I, I try to stress to folks is, you know, this is not much worse now than having a deep filling in your tube because we have better anesthetics to make sure it's totally numb and we have better medications to, to treat the tooth with so that they, the root canals now last long, much longer periods of time. So people are worried about losing the tooth anyway. And then, of course, there's the expense. It's much less expensive to, to treat an abscess tooth than it is to pull it and try to put, say, for example, an implant back in place or something like a, a bridge, if you will, three teeth splinted together. So we just try to get them out of pain first. I might do a sedative treatment. I might actually pull a tooth if it's, it's that bad and, and the person really, really wants it taken out. But uh, we, we do stress uh, relieve the pain and the discomfort first. Well, that's a good point, Dale, because having had root canals back in the dark ages before I even mm-hmm. moved back here in 77, clearly different sensations. And then when, when you've done that for us, uh, for me, it's just totally different. Uh, the anxiety, I think, level is much less as I get older, believe it or not, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's, it's an interesting concept and, and a discomfort level. Now, share with the folks, because I think there are, I mean, I may be wrong, but I think there's some misconceptions about dental implants. Kind of share with everybody where the process is, when somebody might want to do that and, and the procedure itself? Well, the, the main thing is be sure you have enough bone. Um, you've got to have enough bone for the implant to be placed. Both the length and the width of the implant success is determined by how much bone we have to work with. Now, I'm a country boy, so I'm going to tell you short, sort of how it is. Placing an orthopedic screw, which is what a root form implant is, and you've seen orthopedic screws throughout medicine, the titanium derivative that goes in place and then fuses to bone. It's called osseous integration. It fuses to bone. In fact, I've had to take only one of them out and you have got to cut it out. You can't pull it. So that's a very sturdy, wonderful thing to have in, in, in place. But it, it's kind of like, just to be oversimplified, it's like putting a wood screw in a pine tube before. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a large enough board to put the, the top screw you want to put in there. You've got to have enough bone. It's living tissue just as wood is living tissue, you've got to have enough bone to actually screw in that implant so it can be healthy enough to fuse to bone. So here again, it's a less painful procedure than pulling a tooth. The determining factor is how much bone do I have? What do I have to place this orthopedic screw into? And that involved, Dale, uh, at times a bone graft, pardon my ignorance, would you do if somebody wanted that and they didn't have enough bone, do they get a bone graft and then the implant? Like that or? That's correct. And a bone graft is, is basically a matrix that bone grows into, and you can harvest or, or have bone uh, generate to create enough. And at the time of surgery, if you don't have enough bone, you can always add bone grafting material. Because once that's, those implants are placed, they're covered over, in most cases, um, beneath the gum tissues with a healing cap and left alone for about five or six months. That's to allow that integration process to happen. That bone fusion's got to happen for, for stability. So you can either place an implant, wait five or six months, and then, excuse me, place the, the bone graft, wait five or six months, and then place the implant. Or you can simply come back and, and place the implant with the bone graft. 
Uh, but once you have to have the five to six month period of healing of the bone graft first, then you would go back and place the implant and get another five or six months of healing so that the, the um, bone can grow into that bone graft matrix in the first five or six months then the placement of the implant is allowed to heal in place that orthopedic screw the next five or six months. So we try to avoid using bone graft for that reason, the waiting period, but sometimes, often, there's very few, I will say this, very few patients that you can't place some type of bone graft and get an implant in if you really want one. Okay. And where, Dale, would you, I guess, arrive uh, with someone if they came in uh, recommending that okay none of these things are going to help your situation and then recommend extractions and dentures is that a fair question at some point and it's one that I deal with every day <laughs> so many people come in thinking they want dentures take all my teeth out and I want a denture uh -huh. that goes back that's historically mama had dentures dad had dentures grandfather had dentures and I'm about their age now, when they got them, I'm gonna to have to have dentures. One of the things we do more than anything else is try to convince people to leave some teeth to create an anchor system. Okay. Now, when you're talking about dentures, they sit on gums, all right, and they're held simply by suction. Well, how efficient can that be? <laughs> so if you leave some teeth here and there, or you place implants that you can then anchor those teeth in place, they're much more functional, much more comfortable. So we really try to save some teeth for anchor systems, but there are some people who have had, and one of, the, one of the, tragically, one of the younger people problems is those who have been exposed to meth. Methamphetamine just destroys teeth on a, on a massive scale. There are those patients you can't save their teeth. Now you've got to have that discussion. We've got to have the teeth out, but in a denture, you may be able to wear it successfully. If you cannot, we'll place a few implants and you can snap it in and anchor it in. So in answer to your question, uh, negligence and, and neglect and our other factors such as multiple medications dry the teeth out and, and cause problems with decay. And if a tooth decays below the gum level, down to where it, it, it encroaches on bone level, you can't restore that. You can't put anything on top of it because it's, it's decayed below bone level. That's that situation. Or it can be fractured severely enough that situation, you've got to take those teeth out. Severely fractured teeth, lack, lack of a bone level to restore the tooth uh, with a crown. So those are the two times when you de definitely must have something done. And then the abscess itself can be severe enough. You need to get that out of there. You may even need a bone graft to re repair the bone from the, from the, the abscess having destroyed bone because an abscess will destroy bone pretty rapidly. So people who are, wait, I wait, I wait, it's really not hurting, it's been swollen. You're losing bone at the same time that you're having to deal with a, with a, a bodily infection. That can't be good for you. So, <clears throat> I know you've done a great deal of research on the infectious part of dental care. Uh, share with us what maybe for some of our listeners would understand, certainly, uh, the most common bacteria that are creating perhaps some dental issues, the abscesses and things? Well, generally, gram-positive streptococcus is what's going to give us the most. The strep and, and the, and the gram-positive are the ones that are hardest. And we use penicillin or amoxicillin as a drug of choice for that. Uh, but there is, be honest with you, there are so many bacteria in the mouth. Let me back it up and say this. 
that truly there are only 13 out of hundreds of bacteria in your mouth that actually digest sugar to make them more aggressive. Okay. They become more aggressive to attack your periodontal condition and also to create dental decay. We do DNA testing now of saliva to determine if you have a higher content of those 13 bacteria that are, are the ones that digest and create problems, digest the sugar and create problems. Uh, and based on that, we'll come with, with an antibiotic, we use oral rinses, rinses, do some more aggressive things to get that bacteria count down to help control the condition. But the abscess tooth, gram positive, that, that abscess tooth, it, it responds mainly to, to hopefully amoxicillin or penicillin. We can give other medications, but those are the best. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to jump way ahead there, but what are some of the advances in your long career that you are seeing today for the future of, of dental care? Are there some new things on the horizon? Well, right now, the things that we, we're very proud of is the fact that, that many officers are beginning to get up to speed with, with cone beam radiology, a three-dimensional radiograph. And that 3D picture of the, of, the, of the face is very helpful. It can determine uh, an abscess tooth. For example, I had an abscess tooth that I didn't know was an abscess tooth, but in the 3D dimension, there was a small lesion on the end of one of my upper teeth. Never bothered me, no indications whatsoever. But I went and had a root canal before it became a problem. Would have never found it with traditional x-rays. The two-dimensional x-rays are just going to get, you know, from one side to the other and not go around the tooth. Very helpful. Also, it's critical. If you're going to place implants, remember, you got to have enough bone. And how do you know how much bone you have till you get a three-dimensional picture of that, of that particular uh, entity? So for root canals and for um, placement of implants, the new cone beam technology has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, then also, one of the things I see is that we're going to get away from the, the I call it the mud in your mouth, the impression that uh, you take when you do a crown. Well, we have digital scanners now that takes a digital image that we send to the lab and they fabricate the, the, the crown from that digital image. Some doctors have the digital images and do their own crowns in their office. It requires you have a technician to do that. And, and some of it's, it's handier just in a small practice just to send them to the lab. But yeah, digital. I think digital, the digital scanners are, are going to change our world as well. Much more convenient for patient and doctor. And no more mud in the mouth. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I told you, I'm a country boy. i got to call it like it is. <laughs> and having had mud in the mouth many times. Thank you so much. I love that. I love that. All right, now... <clears throat> And, and and I don't, and you and I have chatted about some of this. Some folks come in and they look at uh, dental insurance, and, and I, I want your honest opinion. Is that worth it sometimes, or for that average citizen, are they better off just uh, being able to say, okay, I'm going to pay Dale and not worry about paying for this insurance because I may not need it? I mean, because I don't even know what it covers anymore. Well, you know, for the individual, uh, it's very difficult for me to say that it just that the price justifies the insurance, um, especially when we have um, types of like care credit as as a credit entity where you can make payments for your work. Mm -hmm. The payments sometimes are about the same as the insurance would be, but they last for a lot longer because you pay it off. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, um, the the dental insurance that you see companies carry 
and you have group policies uh, that they've negotiated, and, and those are, people become dependent on that. The number one reason that people leave a dental practice, mine included, is because we're not accepting that particular insurance. Their insurance has changed. They're having to go to the doctor that was, as you know about how that goes, they're having to go to the doctor that accepts their insurance because the insurance company said, these are the only providers we will give you. Um, people sometimes come back and say, no, I'll pay you out of pocket. That mainly because of the staff that I have, it just makes them feel so at home. I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for a staff that made people feel at home, I'm just I'm just the guy that fixes teeth. You know, many times it's the office and the staff that, that bring people back. But yes, insurance is used uh, quite often, frequently. We try to monitor for the patients how much their insurance will pay. They're very particular about that and what their copay will be. And so we are, to some degree, a an insurance-dependent entity right now. Unless you're in trouble, you need a you got an abscess tooth, you need a tooth pulled, you've got a cosmetic emergency, you've broken a front tooth. That's that qualifies as one of those emergency pain that that emotional pain of a front tooth. But they will come and pay whatever it takes. We hate to see that happen. But mainly, I would say that that insurance has changed our industry tremendously because it's opened up whole new avenues of people who say I can't afford that, but I have insurance and insurance and it will help me. So I think it's a good thing, depending on your policy. Exactly. Well said, and that was true, as you're well aware, in, in my medical practice over the years as they began changing what they would cover, the so-called mm -hmm. annual exams, et cetera. So now, Dale, you've had an interesting, interesting uh, career in another area, uh, and that is in the ministry. And, and you've done a marvelous job with that. You thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and share with our listeners how you came to that path, if you will, and, and what you're doing today with that ministry. Well, Shelley, I, I was very blessed at, at some point in time, recovered from, from malignant melanoma and a diagnosis of, of you'll be dead in six months, to being, being uh, blessed with, with uh, new life. And, and I said, oh, God, if you'll just save me, I'll do anything you want me to do. Well, you've got to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> uh, so I did start at that time... Um, doing some uh, lay ministry and was called upon to go and, and fill spots in local churches when the minister had a death in the family or a little vacation or was ill. I, I always told him I always had a, a sermon on a shelf I would grab off and go and, and, and take care of that for him. Well, then I decided uh, here a, a few years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, you know, they're now opened up and I became part of the first class in this area the opportunity to become, instead of a, a certified lay servant, a certified lay minister, which is better credentialing. It gave me more education. I'm glad to do it. But then the, the, the district superintendent comes uh, and has me take a church in Dayton, Tennessee, uh, Mountain View, beautiful church. They had a split in the church. Mm -hmm. And he said, I need you to be a, a minister, but I also need you to rebuild the church because of your management skills and what you've done through your, your dental practice and your dental academies. They need to be rebuilt. So we went in and did that and, and had a wonderful experience. But then he came back three years later to a different DS and says, no, I need for you to take Pleasant Hill Methodist Church in Decatur. Well, that might not mean much to you, but that's my home church. My parents were there, aunts and uncles. When people come to visit, everyone that I uh, introduced them to, they're related to me in some way. Remember I told you I had to get out of the county just to date someone. <laughs> so uh, 
I told the DS that, that uh, I was honored, but I declined about three times. Uh, busy dental practice, wasn't sure that I was worthy to do that, wasn't sure that I had the time to do that. And then I told him one day, I said, you know, uh, brother, you got to understand, even Jesus Christ didn't do well in his hometown. So <laughs> I, was a little, I was a little reluctant. But since that time, we're, we're, we, we lived through the COVID incident. We started doing Facebook posts so that we have an, a, a daily, or excuse me, every Sunday we have a Facebook post sermon that people can, and we have followers all over the place, like you, you told me earlier about your podcast. So I've been very honored to, to, to do that um, and continue to do so. So um, it, it's something I was called to. Be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I have a much deeper appreciation for, for religion, the Bible, and things I didn't know that I'm learning and trying to share with my congregation. And uh, it, it's, been, it's been what I, I can't believe I almost missed this opportunity. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. Oh, and, that's, and I know your congregation and certainly friends, family from that area are, are as well. We have Dale in our uh, Episcopalian tradition at St. Paul's in Athens, what we call education for ministry, EFM. Mm -hmm. That is not a certification process, but it enhanced uh, my depth of knowledge that I thought I knew over the years, <laughs> like, like you're talking about. And then suddenly, whoa, when you get into the true study of the Bible and when you get into the uh, expert scholars and reading their pieces, just a phenomenal experience. And then we've actually had two friends of mine go from that particular four-year course uh, into divinity school. Mm. They felt that calling to change careers and, mm -hmm. and do that. And I just think it's, it's magnificent that you're able to do that. Uh, now earlier, Dale referred to the fact that he and I participated in, in a couple of things at the Arts Center, uh, one of which was the great production of Oklahoma that uh, Dale starred as curly and and has a marvelous voice uh, do you see yourself ever in your busy schedule getting back on stage for something one might say that my time is probably passed to do that. <laughs> in terms of no one understands just how much preparation and time it takes to to, to be a, a member of a cast in, in a play and production that's why i, I, I actually uh, am so happy that i see you showing up on stage a good bit <laughs> Uh, I know what your dedication level is, but it would be difficult with all that I have on my plate to get back. If they needed me and there was a certain role, if they needed someone to sing in a production, like, like the music man who did that and Little Abner and things, that's normally when they would call me, so they needed a singer. Uh, but at this stage in, in my career, it would be difficult, but if it was, there was enough demand uh, and, and you needed someone, I could probably fill that role, but it would, it, it would be tough. So I, I'm going to sit back and say the circumstances have to be just right. All right. I'm, I'm going to slide this in because we have none other in February, auditions in November, than the sound of music. Oh. I'm seeing Dale, folks. <laughs> I'm seeing him as Baron Von Trapp. <laughs> I can see him doing this role. So keep it in mind now, Dale. Keep mm -hmm. it in mind. But you are correct. And there is a, I guess, uh, a joy to doing that. Now, the things that make you happiest about your career, share that because uh, a number of people will say, wow, I just can't imagine that pressure and the things that you go through. But what really makes Dale feel good at the end of a, of a long day? Well, it's interesting that you say that because most of us as dentists or technicians 
um, we fix teeth. Now we do diagnosis and we do the, the oral health. It's not not just that because we do have the the uh, actual challenge of of being the the physician of the mouth, if you will, and, and of the head and neck. So I enjoy the science of it, but I think perhaps the most incredible thing about dentistry is that you have the freedom to manage and maintain a practice as an independent person. Now we're becoming more and more dependent on, on insurance companies, which makes it difficult. Some insurance companies we can't take because of their, their policies. But to bring a team together and to be able to grow from, from the ground up an operation that can serve this many people, to get rid of pain, to rebuild person's smiles, to, to give them the ability to eat well again, I think that that's probably the thing that gives me the greatest joy is, is to take a person in pain, get them out of pain, and to restore someone a smile that, that they almost cry, they're so happy to, to see that smile, or someone who was unable to eat and function properly be able to all of a sudden eat again, there's, there's just nothing like it. And I have the freedom to do it the way that I would choose to do it, and it also then challenges you then to, to be the constant student in order to do that, that challenge of, of the pressure of being the constant student. Because if you try to go this alone, you're not going to do very well. It's going to be very frustrating. You're going to fall behind. You're not going to know who and what to do when. But to have good consultants and go to good seminars and lecturers, then it becomes just joyful to be the head of your practice. Oh, that's an awesome description of that. And I too, Dale, as you know, uh, was in a group setting, which was just fine. Became independent for 22 years, solo, and, and as you're aware, I think we are somewhat of a dying breed. Uh, solo practice in medicine certainly is. I've seen the stats, uh, and, and in dentistry, you're absolutely right. The freedom to manage your team, uh, setting up networks of consultants, uh, it's an awesome description of what I think is extremely important uh, to do that. And, and I, I hope that the trend uh, for you all in dentistry will continue to allow you all to do that. Uh, on our side of the fence in medicine, we're seeing more and more young people coming out, massive debts, so they go to work for hospital mm -hmm. corporations, mm -hmm. large businesses. And I'm, I'll be honest, and I'm going to do a podcast soon on medical care in America, which is going to address the issue uh, that that's not always ideal. I think your model has been extremely successful for you, and I hope it will continue. Uh, now, a question I always ask, and, and I, th I think I know how you will approach it, but not, not 100%, but I'm a young student uh, in college, and I'm a senior, and my goal is to get into uh, a profession that helps folks, describes what you did, and I want to be a dentist. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come and I'm going to make an appointment with Dr. Dale Kennedy, and I want to know what Dr. Kennedy's going to say to that youngster about the profession of dentistry, the good, uh, the not so good, et cetera. How are you going to advise me about going into that? Well, in terms of, of and I've actually I have a couple of students in college now that, that, that I'm talking with and trying to work with. As I said before, 
dentistry is one of the few m most independent medical provider organizations that you'll find. Medicine has gone the way of the hospital and the corporation. I'm afraid dentistry is headed that way. Pharmacy has gone to the, the way of corporation. But no, and, and that's okay. They, they provide the service, that's fine. But there's no other medical profession uh, that you can go into that you have the ability to grow and, and prosper and enjoy success like you have as an independent dentist. Um, the work is constantly changing. The technical, the technical aspect of it is constantly challenging. You're always learning. So I would say go, and if you have good hand-eye coordination, that's it. The skills of your eye hand. Probably wouldn't be a dentist unless I, I aced that part of my, my exam, the dental admission exam. But the story is that's, that's key that your hands and your eyes, that you have good, good coordination. And then, you know, get around a team that, that satisfies your need to help people. And again, I'm going to reiterate, you can't do it alone. You've got, to, you've got to respect your staff. You've got to love your staff, respect your patients, and you'll have good days and bad days. I won't deny that. But dentistry itself is, is technically challenging enough and has enough learning as a physician of the mouth that I think you'll be, stay challenged throughout your career. The problem at the end, you mentioned before, the problem that I have is I'm not sure when I'll retire because now that you built it, now that you have this family of 25 and 30 year old, 30 year staff members, they're family. Now then, you've, you, all this has been built. It's hard to let your baby go. Mm -hmm. So I, I will stay in practice until God makes my hands weak or my eyes weak. Um, so it, you, you can't say that about many professions, that you can come to the end and say, wow, I've really enjoyed this. I don't know when I'll ever quit. quit. Maybe let God make that decision. So I'm hoping everyone could get that, and very few professions allow that. To be that challenged, to have that much pride in, in what you can build with your team, and then be able to exit on your terms. Absolutely. That's a wonderful way to put it. And I felt that way, Dale, as I retired uh, at the end of this month. It'll be eight years, and I have stayed active mm -hmm. and busy. You will as well when your retirement comes. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a key, another point that I urge to all folks who look at retirement, have a plan of retirement. Mm -hmm. Dale's gonna be just fine when his time comes. He will continue his, uh, his ministerial type career. He'll be active in community organizations. And so this is a wonderful approach, but uh, that's very, very well said. And that's how I came to mind mm -hmm. at, at that point years ago. Been a great treat to have you today on the program. I'm going to get you back for an episode two in the future, I promise. We may, folks, even sing a, a little retro show tune from Oklahoma, or if it's time for uh, the sound of music and Dale is on stage again, we'll capture that just as well. Thank you very much. But thanks for being with me, Dale. It's been a treat. My pleasure, my friend. Anytime. You know that. Anything for you, brother. All right. Thank you so much. And folks, if you have any questions, you know to send those, please, to shellgriff at gmail.com, S-H-E-L-G-R-I-F at gmail.com. I'll get back to Dale with uh, any of that, get back to you all in the future. And as I say to each and every one of you, have a safe and healthy day, and I'll see you a little further up the road.